BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Paul Montoy Wilson. Technology has given way to a treasure trove of data. Each day, I can monitor how many steps I've taken or how much time I've spent on my phone. I can see my net worth change moment to moment and track the quality of my sleep. Part of what was so impressive about technology in its earlier years was all this data. But over time, as that initial excitement has worn off, many of us might realize that having this data hasn't necessarily improved the quality of our lives or the decisions we make. And while measuring some data does matter, it might leave us wondering if we're focusing too much on the wrong plot points. This week's guest, Paul Montoy Wilson, is the co-founder of Allo Finance a mindful money app that is unlike any personal finance app I've ever seen. Allo aims to give people awareness around their personal values and how that's reflected in how they spend their money. Unlike every other personal finance app, Allo doesn't encourage users to track every dollar spent. Instead, we're invited to explore and kindly observe how we feel about our finances. Please enjoy my conversation with Paul. Paul, it's a beautiful day to talk about money. Thank you so much for joining me today on Weird Finance. Paco, so great to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me on to talk talk about money. Let's of course. Do it. I mean, I'm so impressed with Allo. The mission is incredible. I've told you this before that I've never seen an app like this in the finance space before, and it really gets me excited. And But before we dig into that, 
I want to learn a little bit more about you. I want to know specifically, where did you grow up? But I also want to know, I want to know a little bit about your upbringing and your childhood experiences and how that shaped your attitudes and your beliefs around money. Thanks so much, Paco. So I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, had an awesome childhood. And when I sort of think back to some of my earliest memories around money, one of them was one summer, I was probably somewhere between eight and 10. I, my mom gave me a job and it was a penny a minute to do work around the outside of the house. And I had this goal at the end of the summer to save up to buy this robot. And the robot cost $50. And so every single day I was doing all these odd jobs and you know, getting closer and closer and finally got to $45. Uh, my older sister, Andrea, shout out to, uh, to Andrea. She was seeing my hard work. She gave me that extra $5 and got to the $50. And I'd been working all summer. And instead of buying the robot, I thought, gosh, why would I waste all this hard-earned money uh, on this robot? And instead, I put it into the bank, all $50, and you know, it's probably still in the bank today. And I, I give that you know silly example, but growing up, I would say you know where one of my money mindsets is is one my default is one of being a saver and one of being frugal. And my grandma grew up in the Great Depression. She's a huge influence on a lot of ways in our family. And uh, one of those ways was she was super frugal. She would always find a, you know, cut out a deal coupon and make sure she's using it to buy, you know, the cheapest, uh, whatever it is at the store. Uh, she, she would buy milk by the gallon. And I would say another core uh, value I grew up with though was generosity. And so I think that is an interesting pair to pair sort of frugality and generosity. My house was always a place in which my friends could come over. My parents were just amazing hosts. And I really appreciated the fact that, yeah, we could, we were a very welcoming family to our neighbors and to our broader community. Paul, you said that the $50, I'm still fixated on this. You said that the $50 is probably still in the bank. Does that mean you worked your butt off that summer, your eight to 10 year old butt off, and you put the $50 in the bank and today you don't know, like you never got to see the fruits of that, you know, compounding interest? Yeah, so, you know, it's a good question. I don't have the robot. Right. And I was actually, so I have three kids, Lola's eight, Joaquin's five, Noelia's two. And I told this story recently to Joaquin and he was like, we got to go get that robot, dad. <laughs> and I love that. And I'm actually seriously thinking about, yeah, exploring getting a robot with my kids and playing with it because it's something that would be a lot of fun. Growing up and sort of earlier in my life, I think I viewed frugality as sort of the right mindset to have mm -hmm. around money. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, everybody should be saving money. Why are you spending money? It's just a waste. And what's been beautiful for me as I've grown older and learned more and learned learn from you uh, as, as an example is money's just a tool. And so the flow of money, what we make and how we spend and how we save is an expression of what's important to us. And so it's a, I would say the skill of spending and really articulating my values through not the earning side of money, but the spending side of money is something I'm still working on. Totally. I think we're all very much still in process. And 
I think some of the things we struggle with, you know, from a financial perspective, it's one of those things where you get like one degree better at it, right? You let go a little bit or you hold on to more, a little bit more. And then it's just something that, you know, there's a common theme I think people have in their lives and they just have to slowly work towards, I don't want to say fixing it, but getting to a place where it feels healthy and where they feel secure and safe. So Paul, tell me about Aloe, which you call the mindful money practice. What is a mindful money practice? What does that look like? And how did you arrive at creating this app? A lot of, a lot of great questions. Well, I would say that I'll start by, you know, our goal with Aloe is to help people feel great about their finances, uh, feel at peace about their finances, feel confident about their finances. And if you take a step back, money is the top stressor for the most of us. You know, it doesn't take long for you to like scroll on whether it's, yeah, your new site of choice or Instagram, TikTok, and there's some post about money stress. And it happens to all of us, no matter your income, no matter your financial situation, it looks differently, but we're all stressed. In a way, feeling, you know, at peace or confident, great about your money, you know, is a simple thing to say, but in practice, what, what gets me really excited about what we're working on with Aloe is it sort of does two things when you're at peace with your finances. There's an inward change. So just like, yeah, if I'm more at peace, it helps me in my marriage. It helps me as a dad. It helps me sort of live a life that feels better. And then also when I'm part of at least our vision is that feeling at peace means you're using your money that's really aligned with your values And so there's a really amazing collective thing that happens when you start shifting how you're earning, how you're spending, how you're saving your money to be more in aligned with what you care about. Well, the more people that do that, we'll start to see societal shifts on what we're spending our money on. And so both of those things sort of at a high level vision really excite me. Can you tell me specifically how the app works and talk a little bit about what makes this app so unique? Yeah. So actually the app is pretty simple. It's the the core principle of the app is around awareness. And it's the idea of being aware of your values and aware of your flow of money. And so if you uh, have a regular practice right now where you look at your bank statement, look at your credit card statement and notice with a kind and curious approach that says, huh, this is interesting. This is how I'm using my money. If you're doing that today, I applaud you. That's amazing. Um, the majority of people don't. The more, majority of people don't have any type of budgeting system, don't have any type of sort of regular routine in which you engage with your money. Uh, we're, we're money avoidant people. And so Allo is taking a different approach than traditional budgeting apps. Um, And so again, if you're using a budgeting app and you love it and it's working for you, that's great. Keep doing that. Uh, With Allo, the approach is really to get you to engage with that flow of money. So we spend money every single day and just to notice it. And then when you notice it, double click on a few things. Number one is one of gratitude. You actually have a amazing, uh, I'm trying to remember the specifics of what a gratitude quote in your book, Paco, that we highlight in the app, but just the importance of being grateful when you're able to use your money that's aligned with your values. 
Uh, and that's really been a game changer for me. Every time I used to look at my bank statement or credit card statement, I would feel stress or just like negative energy because I'm like, ah, this is money going away from me. This is money that's wasted or money that I don't have anymore in my bank account. Mm -hmm. But with a gratitude mindset, I've been able to shift that perspective to really now when I'm looking at my spending, I'm able to notice all the ways that I'm using my money that's in alignment with my values. So coming back, it's this awareness practice where you simply look at your numbers and you notice how you feel. You notice where you feel grateful. And then the second thing is you notice where something doesn't feel right. So there's a variety of reasons why something might not feel right. It might be like, oh, I need to unsubscribe from this subscription, right? I just, it's a to-do on my to-do list that I need to do. Um, Something else might feel right that you might need to, you know, think a little bit more on. So is the spending not aligned with your values? Or is it something that like, again, from your childhood, you learn something that's not serving you anymore and you need to kind of let that go and you realize, oh, actually spending money in this area is really aligned to my values. And the last thing I'll say is doing this once is great. But one of the great things that we're really hoping to with Allo, a mobile app, and really the great thing that a technology can do is really help you build a habit. And so that's the thing, which is, a regular awareness practice where you check in, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, and just create that practice where you're regular reviewing, you're noticing how you feel, and then you're seeing how your flow of money is reflected in that. Even the language that you use to describe how you want people to engage with their finances is unusual. There's a lot of observation, right? Just observing, noticing, and then letting yourself feel whatever your feelings are. This is all unusual in an app. So I want to know, where did this come from? Do you have a meditation practice? How have you come to this conclusion that this is a great approach for mindfulness? The evolution of this is, uh, so I'm working on this with my co-founder, Will Choi. And when we started working on this idea, we basically wanted to work on a team that we loved working on in a way that felt congruent with our values and a problem that we was really important to us. And so that's where sort of helping people, particularly I would say in the behavior change space of personal finance, helping people change their behavior, align their spending and their saving and their earnings in ways that are more aligned with their values was something that really interested us and is a tricky problem as, as we all know. And we actually started really just in the behavior change um, space. So what we tried to do, there's a classic uh, 401k study, which says if you auto opt people into saving for retirement, as opposed to opting out, there's a huge difference. It's like 80% of people will save for retirement when the checkbox is checked by default. And it's like the reverse when the checkbox is not checked by default. And so we had an idea, which was, hey, can we just bring that to the paycheck? Uh, there's a model called uh, pay yourself first. And so we were going to show people their paychecks when they got it and then say, what percent do you want to save and sort of have that check by default and then increase it over time. And so while we were doing this experiment, but there were lots of experiments like this and in interviewing hundreds of people, what we were learning was like we all have super unique relationships with money. And although there are some really great principles uh, in personal finance, 
cookie cutter solutions don't really work for the majority of people. And I think that's where budgeting really fails a lot of people is budgeting tries to put you into a cookie cutter solution that you end up failing and then you end up feeling more guilt and shame around that. And so while we were interviewing people, running these prototypes, I came across work like yours specifically. And that's why I reached out to you a little bit over a year ago to get your advice on the app. But there's this new wave of financial advisors that are saying, hey, it's not about like follow these 10 steps. And if you make a mistake, it's your fault. And you got to just like eat rice and beans until you get out of debt. And then you can do this. And if you can't do it, then you're making a mistake. And then there's a lot of guilt and shame built into that. Like there's a better way in a way that's much more sort of congruent with how I see the world. And so what's been awesome is like these books exist. There's a new wave of financial therapists. Like there are all of these resources that exist today, which is amazing, but it costs a lot, obviously, to talk to a financial therapist or a financial advisor, or even if you were to engage with, and I think, I hope everybody who's listening to this podcast has read uh, your book, um, but a lot of people don't have the time to read or to read and then follow up and create a practice and make the changes that these books suggest. And so what's great about an app is it's really great at building habits. So that, that can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And that's where like, in terms of where do I like to spend my time, I like to help figure out ways to use technology to help people make behavior change that alignment with their values. That sounds great, Paul. <laughs> when I hear you talk about it, you know, I'm with it, you know, I'm with it. But it's much easier to sell this idea that if you follow these steps and you check these boxes and you feel badly if you don't do it, that's a really easy thing to sell, right? I have the map. I have all the things you need. The hardest sell is like the answers to your questions lie within. That's a super hard sell because you're asking people to do the heavy lifting. Have you felt that resistance that people are not that into you know, buying into this idea that that they have to do all the internal work for real transformation? It's interesting you bring this up. I think because there are like, there are plenty of apps, you know, traditional budgeting apps that exist or traditional courses that have these like 10 step processes for the people that that works for, they're using that. And so the people that are coming to use our app are people that either that didn't resonate with, so they never tried it out or they tried and then felt really guilty and shameful that they weren't able to do it. And now they're trying to approach their finances in a new way. And so we're actually not seeing that much resistance. And on the flip side, like I said, the app really boils down to the simplicity of being aware. And so we actually don't suggest that you have to tag all of your transactions and categorize everything into a specific particular category or box, particularly categories that like make no sense to you. Instead, like we're just saying, both be aware of the numbers, but the thing that's often overlooked or we try to hide or push down is our emotions or our feelings. And those things are just as important, if not more important than the actual numbers. And so you do need to create a practice, but the, the practice itself is very simple. So we've been in this early access program this past year. And one of our early users said, you know, I never have woken up before and wanted to, you know, connect with my money. And this is the first app where like every morning I wake up and I'm just excited 
to sort of see how I spent yesterday, see, you know, how I made money yesterday and just be grateful, connect with that, feel, you know, confident control of my finances. And so it's like, it's people that I talk to like that, that get me really excited about the work that I'm doing. That's really sweet to get those messages. I'm sure it makes you feel motivated and excited and like the work that you're doing is, you know, it's really helping people. So I'm glad that you're getting that that feedback, Paul. Yeah, it is. That getting, getting feedback from users is both the most motivating thing, but it's also the most helpful because then we can, we're building the app today. So we're adding new features. And when people are using the app are telling us like, hey, this is really working for me. Or like, oh, I would love it if you could help with this new thing that I'm going through. Like that will help us determine what we're going to work on next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Alex. I noticed you've been mindful of your finances lately. Have you considered opening a high-yield money market savings account with an online bank? They're offering much better interest rates these days. A high-yield what? And online banks? Say more, dude. 
A high-yield money market savings account is a type of savings account that usually offers higher interest rates than traditional ones. Since interest rates have gone up, that means some online banks are paying much more to keep your money in their savings accounts. I just looked, and some are as high as 4% compared to less than 1% at bigger banks. Wow, that's a significant difference. But how does it work? And is it safe? It's simple. You deposit your money into the account, and it earns interest over time. Most of these accounts are FDIC-insured up to $250,000, so your money is protected. That sounds great, but are there any fees or restrictions with online banks? Some banks may have fees or require a minimum balance, but many online banks offer competitive rates with little to no fees. Just be sure to shop around and find the best option for you. Thanks, Sam. I'll definitely look into opening a high-yield money market savings account with an online bank. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. Weird Finance. Okay, Paul, I want to shift the conversation a little bit. And I do want to ask you some questions that might be prickly, depending on, you know, your own uh, attitude. So you had a company before. It was called Aviate. Am I saying it correctly? You got it. Okay. Can you tell me what Aviate did? Aviate was a contextual search engine. Okay. The goal of it was basically to connect you with the right information at the right time. So you're, we're dating each other. It was, a, it was about a decade ago, pretty early days after the iPhone and uh, Android first launched. And what you could do on Android was completely customize the home screen. Okay. And so what we did was we built a layer on top of the Android home screen. And then when you would walk into a restaurant, we would not only surface that there's an app called Yelp that you could use, but we would surface the dish, like the top three dishes in the restaurant. Huh. Or if you had a meeting with somebody coming up, we would surface the details from within that LinkedIn profile about like, hey, here's the person you're about to meet up with. So a lot of these things have since been integrated into the operating system, but we worked on that. Yeah, it's, it was, it's been or started on over a decade ago, and I'm actually still working with the same co-founder from that company as I am right now. Okay, so you guys then sold that uh, company to Yahoo. Did you sell it for a life-changing sum of money? So yeah, when we sold Aviate to Yahoo, it was a life-changing sum of money for me. I was actually, when you asked that question, thinking back to that $50 robot you were talking about. <laughs> and because I was sort of my, I was a frugal saver from the get-go, it did enable me in some respect to take the risk early on in my career to start Aviate. So I was able to, I had saved up enough money to be able to uh, take a year off from salaried work to begin working on this project that turned into Aviate with my co-founders. And then, yes, that led to both us raising money to be able to continue to grow the company and then subsequently to sell it to Yahoo when Yahoo was reinvesting in mobile search. And so I've basically been on this sort of entrepreneurial journey my whole life, but I'm able to do it in a different way with Allo, in part because of uh, the Aviate acquisition. Do you have any insights or anything in terms of 
how you changed maybe your attitude or your mindset when you came into that money? You know, I would like to say that my mindset shifted a bunch right when I, like around the acquisition, but I would actually say it didn't. My default assumption or what I would have said at the time or what I did say at the time was it shouldn't change. I should spend, this goes back, I think, again, to childhood, but I've never really wanted money to drive the decisions that I was making. And I know that's a privileged statement to be able to say that, but I wanted to be able to work in an area that really felt congruent with my values and also sort of live a, a frugal life and not, you know, have my income change what I'm sort of spending my money on. And so that was sort of, I think my sort of default assumption is that I didn't want to change. Actually, I would say really through this process, these last couple of years, as I've started to work on Aloe, a lot of my mindsets have changed. And I've really opened up to seeing really the beauty in everyone and in their perspectives around money. And like, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn from everybody. And we all have our own strengths and weaknesses and we all have our things we're working on with money. But when we talk to other people openly about money and we can learn from each other and I can also, with my wife, I can look at her and be like, oh my gosh, thank you for your money background. I appreciate the way she's an amazing gift giver. And I can say, thank you so much for taking care of getting gifts for our both for our kids, friends, uh, when we host people or when we go over to somebody's house, thank you for thinking of that and doing that. And the conversations that we have can start with sort of me appreciating and thanking as opposed to old conversations of ours really would start with me going like, hey, I'm, what is this transaction? And she would take that as a sort of negative, like I'm judging her of the transaction where I was genuinely, let's say, just being curious. I wasn't taking this posture of gratitude and really was looking through most of my life through a cost-only lens. I bet you there's a lot of people listening right now who can relate to the tension of having a conversation about money with your partner and trying to figure out what the best approach is. And I like that for you, it it required having a mindful practice that you had to, like you said before, it's internal, it comes from within. And then that's, you know, the transformation with your relationship. And now you talk about money can only happen when you, you take a hard look at, you know, how you're looking at money and what your relationship is like. So Paul, you also talk about this idea of enough when it comes to money and people's relationship to finances. How does Allo promote this mindset of, abundance and how does it help an individual get to their own definition of enough? Yeah, this is a really important point and I'm really glad you brought it up. And it's something I think that's really hard for the majority of us. There's again, another study that the question was asked, how much is enough? How much money do you need to be happy? Or how much money do you need to you know, feel like you have enough? And the answer given for most people was about twice as much as I currently have in my bank account. And so it didn't really matter if you had $1,000 in your bank account to $10 million. 
again, it's not everybody, but the majority of people would answer, you know, if I just had about twice as much, then I would feel at peace. That would be enough. There's a lot of authors uh, I could give a shout out to, but Morgan Housel has a great line around, you know, one of the most important skills around personal finance is to learn how to not move the golf goalpost effectively when what is enough for you. And uh, we talked about this briefly earlier in the podcast, but having a gratitude mindset helps with that because when you're both grateful for your use of money, but also sort of tied with that is generosity. When you're able to be generous to others, you're effectively saying to yourself, I have enough. When, at least for me, when I'm like, oh, I don't know like if we can afford doing this nice thing for somebody else, I'm effectively saying, I don't know if I have enough. But when I'm able to be in the practice, whether it's a small thing or a big thing of being generous with my time or my money to somebody else, it's signaling to myself, hey, I have enough for my own needs. And so with Allo, one of these key principles when you do this awareness practice is to notice where you're really grateful. And so, yeah, you're looking through the transactions and it could be a small, you know, coffee that maybe you got with a friend. You're like, oh my gosh, like, I'm really glad I was able to connect with that friend this last week. Or it could be a big purchase that you made. Like, I'm really, you know, grateful that it, yeah, I'm able to use my resources to spend on this experience or on this thing that's really going to add value to my life. This is making me think about something that I used to do, but I don't do it any as much anymore. And it's reminding me that I need to do it. That when I pay a bill, whether it's like an invoice or running payroll or just, you know, anything that's maybe not set up as an automatic transact or automatic charge, before I would notice like, oh, a little bit, you know, that feeling, oh, I have to pay this yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> for a while, I would catch myself going, ugh, and then turn that into like, you know what? I'm, appre- I thank God I can pay this bill. Like, thank you. Yeah. Feeling appreciative of whatever I make, whatever got exchanged, right? For, if it was a contractor who took work off of my plate so I could focus on what I need to focus on, I'm so grateful that I can pay this person to do this thing and they handle it wonderfully. At, same with my team, right? I'm happy to pay payroll because they're they're handling the business. I could not do what I'm doing without my team. So shout out to my team. Thank you guys. Um, and yeah, if if anyone is ever feeling like it's a drag to pay their bills, try that. Try that little practice of catching yourself when you're feeling, ugh, and allow, it sounds, I feel like such a goober even describing it. And it sounds so corny and so, so cheesy to, to say, find a way to feel grateful in that moment for that thing that you're paying for. But you know, like neurologists and scientists have all studied gratitude and I really, really hate to break it to everyone, but it's a free, simple um, practice that you don't need anything. You just need like five seconds to a minute. And all you have to do is take a deep breath and feel appreciation in that moment. And it's incredible how different doing that regularly will make you feel about your day-to-day life. And the quote in the book, Paul, is the antidote to scarcity is gratitude. So I'm thrilled that that there's an app out there helping people to practice this. So thank you for making it. I want to know, especially because at the time that we're recording this, there's a lot of commotion about student loans, right? So this can be seen as a challenge or a setback for people. 
Is there anything within the app currently that helps users kind of deal with things that feel like a financial setback? Yeah, so I would say yes, and we're working on adding new features every day. The app actually begins with a five-day intro course where we go over these key principles of Allo. And then after you go through the intro course, you will set up this daily, weekly, or monthly practice that works best for you. And the intro course, as you would expect, starts off with your values, what's important to you. It then talks about the power of awareness. Then it talks about the importance of having this gratitude mindset. And then it goes into, you call it responding to setbacks, but responding to life. And it's like, hey, stuff comes up. It could be something huge like student loans, or it could be something small that you're just annoyed about that you weren't on top of this month. And it's like, hey, be aware of that, notice it, and don't bury it and don't do anything about it, but notice it and then make your next step of what's the right thing to do with this information. And so we have a simple uh, to-do list in the app that basically you can flag things to follow up for later. And then we do have resources in the app which go deeper into different topics right now. But we also hope to build out different exercises you can do uh, for, for specific topics. Have you guys faced any criticism or skepticism from people in the tech community, people in the finance community with integrating mindfulness into money? Not really. At least the people that are choosing to use the app and we're interacting with are intrigued, interested, curious. And again, some people that we talk to have a practice they're the, they are the minority of people, but they have some sort of system that they're using. And they'll, they would love to like show me in detail all of the different you know, transactions on the spreadsheet. And they set up 45 different columns. And I love it. I love learning <laughs> and, and hearing from them. And I also realize like, that's not going to work for the majority of people. Right. And so Allo really is, it's, it's saying, hey, there's a bunch of apps that serve a small group of people. But for the majority of us who are like, hey, I don't want to just optimize my net worth or Mm -hmm. I don't like just like optimizing money or getting uh, notified that I like overspend on coffee. Like that's just like makes me want to run away. We have a product that's super simple and our hope is that it's a joy to engage with your money on a regular basis. And It's something we're working on every day to make better. How often are you using it in your own practice? I would say I'm a daily practice user. So I I do really like to be sort of on top of all my transactions. I do try out all of them to try to think about uh, all of the users we have, but I'm currently using it daily. Cool. Is there anything we didn't talk about about the app that you want the listeners to hear about? Well, I'd love for you to uh, use the app and give us feedback. And you can download the app from the App Store. There's a a 14-day free trial for you to use it. You don't need to enter your credit card. And we're really trying to make sure the app is right for you. But also the reason why we're charging a subscription as opposed to having an ad-based business model is we really want you to be the user and align our interests with your interests and to surface the most relevant information to you. And then also, uh, we'd love to give out a three-month free membership to people that here are listening to the podcast. So I'll send out a specific link that you can share with your community. Amazing. And I do have one question. Do you sell our data, Paul? 
We do not sell your data. Yeah. It's really important to us, again, to, and I, like I said, is we're, we're choosing, Will and I, to really build this in a way that is aligned with our own internal compass. And we want you as a user to be a part of that journey with us. And that's why we are charging a fair fee for the project is we want you to pay us. And then we want to build a product that's best for you and helps with your relationship with money. It's beautiful and it's transparent. And I want to thank you. Uh, Before I let you go, Paul, I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions that are about you personally. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Is there anything that you purchased recently that maybe to the naked eye seems frivolous, but for you is absolutely money well spent? I got a great one for you. I love musicals. Really? And yeah, I've always loved musicals. But as like you would probably think based on the earlier part of our conversations, I was, I'd always buy the cheapest seat in the house. <laughs> um, because who needs to spend money on actually being able to see the artists in, open their mouths? Like you can just see, be in the, be obscured and only see half the stage. Like that's fine. But uh, this year I got tickets to go see Annie for my oldest daughter for Christmas. And my wife encouraged me to get great seats. And I was, I was hesitant to do that. I thought it was frivolous. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought about it and I'm like, this is a great idea. Like, let me get great seats. I spent, you know, probably five hours of one-on-one time with my daughter. We went to this amazing experience. We got to support this amazing musical. And it was just a great experience. And again, when I looked at that purchase, a couple of days later in Allo when it popped up, my old self would have really felt like guilty about that. But instead I looked at them like, I'm going to highlight this. This is a this is something I want to do again, not every week, but this is something that I love doing and I, I'm really glad I did. I've asked that question like 25 times and this was the most adorable answer. So thank you, Paul. <laughs> awesome. What's glad one... I could do that. Yeah, thank you. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, that you'd give to your younger self? I think, and I, again, said this a few different times, the importance of uh, awareness. I would have said something like a very specific tactic, like a few years ago, like, oh, like like we talked about that 10 step. I would have been like, do step one and two and you'll be good. Uh, And now like my mindset has completely shifted to being, hey, be aware and really shift that awareness to starting with your values and then moving to, you know, values first, priorities first, and then money second. And so that's, that's, that's what I would give to my younger self. Did you have any financial superstitions growing up? Superstitions. I would say it's probably not a superstition, but, and I'm trying to think if just me that would articulate it this way, but it was going back to that frugality mindset is that like frugality is close to godliness. But mm-hmm. like the best way to uh, engage with your money is to be frugal. And if you weren't being frugal, like you weren't being a good steward of your money. Yeah, I would say I, I sort of held that belief, you know, probably the first 20 years of my life. I wouldn't say that it's a superstition, but it's pretty close. I think when you say godliness, it does bring it into this other arena of I don't want to say spirituality, but there's like, you know, governing ideas about if this, then that, which I think is 
superstition, right? It's we might not be yeah. able to prove it, but if this then that, like if I step on a crack, then I'll break my mother's back kind of energy. Anyways, Paul, last one for you is do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Well, I have a recent one. So okay. great. <laughs> and I think it's good to like know like we're we're fumbling all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have it together. I'm on my journey and I forgot to pay our property tax and got a notice in the mail that, you know, I got charged a huge fee for missing my property tax payment. My I'm like super frustrated at myself. And all of these other things that were like way less dollar amount value. I've like, oh, I need to like focus on, let's say canceling a subscription or like make sure that all of these other small ticket items are dealt with. But when I missed a big ticket item, it more than made up in the fumble direction, the benefits of me being quote unquote on top of saving money in other areas. I'm glad you said to laugh about it. So I I will laugh about it right now. It's a good reminder to me to, again, we each have our own sort of backgrounds. And so this lesson might not be important to you or might be. What are the couple big things that you do need to focus on, like paying your property tax on time? And what are some other things that I can let go of and I don't really need to over-optimize? Because that doesn't really serve a value of mine besides this game of optimization. Totally. It's like, yeah, the 80-20 rule, right? Focus on the few things that have the biggest results and uh, enjoy your life. Yeah. Well, Paul, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting and sharing Aloe's amazing work, its philosophy, and a little bit about you know what's driven you to create this and your own stories about money growing up. I appreciate you coming on here, Paul. Thanks so much for having us, Paco. Really appreciate it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And now it's time to ask Paco anything. Welcome to Ask Paco, a segment where I answer your money questions. Let's listen to this week's question. Hi, Paco. My name is Chris, and I heard about you through through LifeCat, and I absolutely love what you're doing. And I'm calling with a question about small businesses and side hustles. I have many friends, including myself, who who have extra income, and we are having a very heated debate about whether it is better to get paid in cash, keep things under the radar, consider them just hobbies, or whether it's better to aim for growing the business and pay the taxes and also, you know, And I'm just trying to understand, you know, maybe you have some words of wisdom on how to help educate them about, I guess I myself too, on kind of the threshold for when you need to take your business more seriously or when a hobby becomes a business, that it becomes worth it to make it official and report it for tax purposes. Thanks. Bye. Chris, thank you so much for calling in with your question about side hustles and hobbies, and I am endlessly entertained imagining you and your friend group having a lively debate about the two. So before we jump in, let me give you a bit of a disclaimer. I am not an accountant, so while I can be dangerous to myself and others, I cannot legally give anyone tax advice. And I also can't encourage anyone to do anything illegal. So that being said, according to the IRS, You have to report your hobby income, sadly, and you're legally required to report your earnings from self-employment if you net at least $400. So let's take a look at this definition of what net is. Net is what's left after you take all the income you made and you subtract all your business expenses. A good way to remember this idea of net is to visualize a net, right? A net will hold something after, you know, something passes through it, like water or tiny rocks, right? In this analogy, the business expenses are what goes through the net. So your business expenses are costs you incur to run your business. And according to the IRS, business expenses are costs that are both ordinary and necessary for you to operate your business. Let's look at an example. Let's say you make $1,000 
and you spend 700 on business expenses, your net is $300. And according to the tax code, you don't need to report it. So that's one way to legitimately stay under the radar, so to speak. This is also an important thing to understand in terms of having these business expenses, which are also sometimes called deductions or write-offs. It's a way for somebody who is self-employed to spend pre-tax dollars. Now, I want to take this opportunity to address some ideas or some beliefs that people might have about the tax code and side hustles and, and making more money. The first one is that a lot of people think, I've heard this a lot, if I make more money, that means I'm going to pay more taxes. Sometimes that's true, right? When we account for this idea of business expenses, you can find a way to make more money and not pay as much as you might think, especially if you have these legitimate operating costs. And while it may be true, yes, you might pay more taxes if you make more money, you're still making more money. So I do want to just lay that out there. The other thing is often people believe that the tax code is rigged rich versus poor. Now, perhaps that's the case, but why is that? It's actually the result of the tax code being rigged employer or owner versus employee. So people who are not wage workers, anyone who's self-employed or you know, wealthy folks who are living off of their investments, they have an advantage that is baked into the tax code. Specifically, self-employed people get to leverage the tax code in a way that employees cannot and kind of explain that with business expenses, right? Self-employed folks are spending pre-tax dollars. Employees don't have that advantage. There are lots of caveats here. One being that when you have self-employed income and you don't have a formal business entity set up, you tend to open yourself up to a higher chance of being audited, which kind of makes sense because writing things off is easy to do and setting up a formal business is annoying. There's extra administrative filings and requirements that you have to do and fees as well. But one way to think about it is they're just kind of hoops that you have to jump through, right? They're, they're the cost of doing business. I'm self-employed, so my advice here is entirely biased. I think everyone should experience some form of self-employment, even if it's a side hustle. I think it's really empowering and it shatters a lot of your beliefs around making money. Absolutely, it is not for everyone. But for me, the advantages and the potential payoffs are worth the problems, the extra admin, and the risk that comes along with it. So I hope this helps you get a new perspective on self-employment income. I would love to hear how the debate rages on between you and your friends. Thanks for calling in, Chris. Take care. If you have a question you want me to answer, please call our hotline at 833-ASK-PACO or you can email us at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyagroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, which is an iHeartMedia production and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, 
edited, did some sound design, and even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you to our anonymous caller that called in to ask about hobbies and side hustles for our Ask Paco Anything segment. Thank you to my friends Bill Bittner and Ariel Lazarus for lending your voices for this week's PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you want to be part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or you can send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. All right, that's it. We'll catch you here next week. And in the meantime, take care. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.